Well, thank you, Mr. Mills. Appreciate that. And boy, that's the truth for us all. Let nothing between our soul and the Savior. Our text is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40 is uh, our text. In a sermon I've titled, Thankful That We Are Blessed. We are blessed in this country, aren't we? And and more than just uh, financial blessings, that's usually what the world says. Well, if you have good health or you have uh, money, you've got uh, things taken care of. But, well, that's, that's a blessing. And it is. It, it really is. But I tell you what, the truest blessings that we've had in this country have eternal consequences. And that's that the Word of God is freely published and preached in this country. And souls can still get saved. And, and this done here can be happen without hindrance of, of government. Now, a lot of times you'll have the hindrance of, of those that uh, try to keep you from it, the world, the devil, and everything else. But it doesn't have to be that way in this country. Well, let's go into Hebrews chapter 11 now and begin with verse 32. And what shall I say more? Or what shall I more say is the way it starts. For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of darkness were made strong, waxed valiant in flight, in fight, Turn to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might gain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now shall we pray. Father, this is your word. Something that you want us to do is to be thankful. And have those things that we realize that we should be thankful for. So often we don't even, <clears throat> don't even recognize what we should be thankful for. So Lord, I pray that through this message that the love for Christ in the heart of each believer will be magnified. And they can walk out of here saying, it was good to have been in the house of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord is my strength. And we would ask this in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. I want to preface this message this evening with the verse I used this morning in 1 John three eighteen, where it says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And this is the way God wants it. He wants thanks to be given unto Him. We thank God for His blessings, which are many. And we should say thank you 
But we should also thank God for the future promises of God because they are so sure. So we can thank Him ahead of time with assurance. He will do what He says. And the point is, is that we never stop saying thank you, but yet also we show thanks by the way we live and the things that we do for His honor and glory. So the first thing that we want to see is the thankfulness each Christian should have is a heartfelt thankfulness. That first American Thanksgiving, pilgrims and, and, and those that were there had to be uh, aware of the circumstances, and yet they had a heartfelt thanksgiving for what they had. They were living in a cold country when they at last achieved peace with the Indians. England had increased their taxes until that political party moved to America. Um, And in that day, they did not have what they would consider modern conveniences. The religious and economic freedoms they desired were not at the success level that they would have desired. I mean, it was really a hard time. They were not expecting things to be given to them. They were willing to work, but their hardships multiplied. And they were as those old saints in Hebrews chapter 11, as you read through that great hall of faith here, that's our text chapter tonight. Not having received the promises, but seeing them afar off. And they proceeded in faith, feeling that they were led of God to come to this country and to establish it. I don't think any of them, a lot of them think about free enterprise, free everything. I don't think any of them had the idea of the freedom of the worship of God and to expand the ministry of God's word throughout the world. Someone has rightly pointed out that men went to Central and South America, and actually there were many more reasons to go there than, than especially in North America and the northern parts, uh, you know, New England areas and all that where they first would come in. I mean, down in those areas, they had a better climate, they had a better soil, they had a better everything. They had gold, they had all these other things down there. And yet... Most of that today is a third world country still. And, and why is that? Because the purposes of people going there were for, for those things. The pe- purpose for people coming here was to fulfill the will of God. We are blessed because people, our forefathers, that most of us don't know who they were, still were blessed by the work that they did do. And so we must give thanks for that. And we have every reason to give thanks for that, for what we enjoy today. That long, hard labor lay before them. Yet they were thankful, choosing to see the blessings of God in the future, not the circumstances of the present. In their mind, America was a promised land, and they were blessed to be here. As saved people, we need to have a scriptural, a biblical view of what blessing is. 
The world sees blessing only as health and wealth and power and popularity and position. In Christian circles, many times, and, and I'm talking about fundamental Christian circles, and there's nothing wrong with this, we believe that we're successful. If our adult children or either in full-time Christian service or children are involved in the local uh, church, teaching Sunday school, working in bus ministries and the music and so forth, or the children are still going faithfully to fundamental independent Baptist churches where they're preaching the word and have not compromised the standards uh, of the Bible. And those are good things. And those are things for which we ought to give thanks, giving credit to God, not ourselves. We tried to do it God's way, and if we didn't do it God's way, they would be a mess, just like we are without Christ. The point I'm making is that all these things are a blessing to us, but it so often seems that we take credit at, look what I did. Look at my guidance. Look at my ability. No, God does it. That child still has a free will and still has to respond to the call of God. But your teaching helps that if you teach according to the Word of God. So these are things for which we ought to thank God, but it's not our ability that accomplishes it. Would we call it success, for an example, if you have a child that goes into a foreign country to preach the Word, for, and they're there for years, and yet, there are no converts. A local church is not started. Yet, if you look at this 11th chapter of Hebrews, you find out that this hall of faith clearly shows Noah. I mean, how many churches did he start? I believe people probably got saved during that 120 years of preaching. They died before the flood that they did. But only eight people get on that ark. Jeremiah, Isaiah, I mean, we think great highly of those names today. But theirs was what you'd call diminishing ministries. We like to talk about the success that our children or grandchildren may have in ministry. Their, their, their grandparents couldn't talk about that. Everything diminished under them. You see, true spiritual success and blessing is seen in following the Lord in obedience. And by the way, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, so often, we want to do God's work our way. We want to do God's work in a way that's palatable to the world and to carnal Christians. And because we want to do it that way, what do we do? The holy work of God we end up contaminating by inserting our way instead of doing God's will God's way. And that'll happen so often. Living life in direct obedience to God's word daily is the way that we show thanks with our life. True biblical eternal blessings and success isn't measured by what is glorious to religious people. In this life, even if they're men who seem to be of our stripe. I, again, I like the way Brother Bob Gray, who's coming again in January, but I like the way he said it. 
Our duty is to go out soul warning. We don't determine how many get saved. That's a decision they make with God. We lead them, but they've got to make the decision. And when a person rejects it, it's not that we failed, it's they failed. It's not a sales technique, it's just presenting the plan of salvation as clearly as we can. That's why sometimes I say, read a track. If you're uncomfortable and saying it, read a track to someone. Share the gospel with them that they might come to salvation that is in Christ Jesus. We glory this day in bigness. It seems that our churches and ministries uh, have that goal. But I remind you of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, who said, look at us. We're increased with goods. We have need of nothing. But this thriving local church was a place that God says is blind, naked, wretched, poor, and miserable. Each soul, each ministry, each work that we're not seeking to bring glory to God in it, but expecting some kind of a glory or admiration for ourselves is a ministry that has its reward only in this life because if you're looking for the pat on the back and you get it, you've got your reward. But it lays up loss of reward in heaven and being saved so as by fire. Blessing begins when we get deep and personal with God in order to know his person. To seek to know him intimately. To seek to know him as he would have us to know him that we might serve him in a way that's holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. The blessing is peace and joy in your heart right now with a contentment when you do it that way, plus its eternal reward to come. I I don't understand how our forefathers had that vision of what could be happening in America. They didn't get to see what happened before this centuries and these last couple centuries have turned to the flesh so much. But so much was accomplished that they didn't get to see. They didn't get to be part of. And yet they were part because they laid the foundation that God is able to use. If it is God's will to in everything give thanks. For we're told that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, uh, that, that in everything we're to give thanks for, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so this is God's will for us. You say, well, I'm not very good at that. Well, then get back into God's will. And, and we're to do that. We're to say thank you to him and, and, you know, this morning I preached about a thanks-living life. And our lives should be a life of thanks unto God. But understand, we don't stop saying thank you to the Lord either. And that's why we sing, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me that great salvation. And it is great. So rich and yet so free. And so let's... 
have that as a goal to bring glory to God's name and show true thankfulness in our life. You say, well, how do we do that? If it's God's will that in everything we're to give thanks, then how do I reach that goal and glorify God and show true thankfulness? Well, number one, don't quit. Don't quit. Just simply don't quit. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27, listen to this as I read it. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. The Holy Ghost told Paul, write down these things verbatim that I give you that happened to you in your life, in your service for me. And he wrote those down. You know what's not there that we, that is just implied but the words are not there? He did not quit. He did not quit. I mean, you read through that list. Most of us might have quit at the first one. But he just kept on keeping on. You don't quit. In chapter 12, the very next chapter of 2 Corinthians, in verses 9 and 10, after he has prayed three times for the Lord to remove this thorn in the flesh, and people talk about it was his eyesight, it was something else, but he actually says, it was the messenger of Satan. Actually, this was a, a, a devil, a demon that was actually buffeting him. Now, was it his eyes? I don't know. The Bible's not real clear on that, but we do know that it was from a messenger of Satan. It was a demon. And he said three times, he prayed to God, remove this from me. God's answer was no. But then he says... In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Okay. In other words, the apostle realized, I can't overcome this devil. I can't do it. Now I've got to lay completely on the strength and power and help of the Lord Jesus. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now he knows it's not his own power. It's the power of the Lord. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. He did not quit. Noah preaching 120 years while building an ark did not quit. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, 
He says there, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, our example, did not quit. When he could have called 12 legions of angels, he did not quit. Run with the ra- uh, patience, the race that is set before you. God has a will for your life. Run that race with patience. Don't quit in your church attendance. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, he says, Provoking one another unto love and unto good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. When I first started out in ministry, one of the great things was at the time that first church I had, I was taking a Greek class at the same time. And, you know, God just works things out. And I had... This guy wrote me and just said, you said not forsaking. Well, listen, the word forsake means to leave altogether. I haven't left God and I haven't left his house altogether. I got that in a letter. He wasn't even a member of my church. He just visited. So I wrote him back. From a Greek study, I had done of that thing, just saying forsaking has the idea of there, not there. I gave him the Greek tense and everything else of it. In the word and everything else. I didn't hear back from him again. But. I learned something from it. The idea of not forsaking is. There not there. There not there. In other words. I go when it's convenient and it's comfortable. It's not a committed thing. A lack of commitment in our church attendance. Is a lack of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now pastor don't accuse me of that. I, I can't accuse you. can't accuse anybody. I'm just saying the way God views it from his word. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So don't quit on, on church attendance. Don't quit on being daily in his word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It shows me myself. And it's a light unto my path. It shows me the way in which I should walk. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Let the word of God Take you all the way down the line. Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration. It's God breathed by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect. That is, thoroughly furnished into all good works. He's given us a word. Don't quit on being daily in the word. Don't quit on prayer. Don't quit on witnessing. Don't quit on love of the brethren. Our situation and surrounding circumstances are never reasons to quit. And I hope just a few examples from the word of God I gave you that goes beyond anything that we've suffered is a good example of that. There are our circumstances and, and situations are not reasons to quit. Our Savior, according to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, says this. Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. 
and being made in fashion like unto a man, uh, like unto a servant, uh, like unto men, and being found in fashion as men, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He did not quit. How was he obedient unto the death of the cross? Faith in the promises of God's word. Remember, he despised the shame, but he endured it. Why? For the joy set before him. That's how you do it. Now, let's look back here in our text chapter in verse 10. It's speaking about Abraham. For he looked for a city whose foundations, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That was his life. You go down to verse 13. Look there. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but seeing them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. They didn't start looking back when times got hard, saying, oh man, it's so much better, I think we'll go back. No, they stuck with it. But now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly God, now listen to this. Boy, I I hope this can be each of our testimonies. God is not ashamed to be called their God. Wow. Is my testimony such that God would not be ashamed to be called my God? For he hath prepared for them a city. Yes, this is what our God does for us. This is something like what the pilgrims faced. Yet they were so thankful. You see, they were persuaded and embraced the thought that they could have come to a country and established the freedom of religion, the freedom to worship God, to preach His Word, and to spread the gospel. They had that with all the sacrifices they made. That was their heart. I think of these pre, uh, pilgrims on that first Thanksgiving. Looking back, they had started out when they first come to this country in two boats. One could not make it. Many died on the trip. But they did not quit in pursuit of their goal. Until you find biblical or scriptural truth, however you want to say it, until you find that scriptural proof to stop doing what you've been called to do and you're supposed to do, then don't quit. Don't quit. None of us have been through some of the things that were seen in our text, just especially here in verses 36 through 38. Listen to that. Others had trial of cruel mockings, scourging. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, 
afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. By the way, uh, sometimes we miss this because we look at those men that did that. They had wives that went with them. Uh, they lived in dens and caves of the earth. Their dress was as that, that way as, as well. They, they had sheepskins and goatskins. They were destituted. And, and they were afflicted. And they were tormented. But you see, love is such a strong force when it's a love in your heart that God has placed there because you've allowed Him to. And together, those wives became helpmeets for those men to meet the call that God had on their lives. Quitters, quitters never receive a crown. Quitters will never receive those treasures that are laid up. Quitters never win. Along with not being a quitter, don't listen to the losers. A loser is one who gripes and complains and feels they're owed something. It's always some other place or someone else or something else was better. I've always wondered, why aren't they still there then? If it was better, why, not, why aren't you still there? Some call that attitude the millennial attitude, but I think it's more of a lack of faith heart. It's a heart that wants what God wants. You know, I, I actually had somebody walk up to me one time and said, what are we doing for millennials around here? I said, well, you know, God told me to preach the word, so if it works for old people and young people, it'll probably work for y'all too. And what else could you do? I sound smart aleck. Yeah, I didn't mean it for smart aleck, but uh, is there something different? I, I haven't seen it there. But you see, that attitude exists today. Why? Because the world tells them, your church is doing nothing for millennials. If the Word of God doesn't move them, what am I going to come up with a program that's stronger than the Word of God? Uh, common sense. Common sense is just not common. Those attitudes really explode, though. If you say, let's do this thing, and it's something they don't want to do, although it's scriptural. It's not something that is modern and contemporary and emerging. So they're not going to want to do it. Blessed persons or people are those who stand regardless of the talk. Talk gets out there. And false accusation. Jesus said it would be that way. So it gets out there. But because his blessings is found in the relationship, the personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that becomes so fulfilling in your spirit that it doesn't really matter what they say. As Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, and that is still true. As we read in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, uh, you know, there where he said, yes, his strength is sufficient. I glory in my infirmities. It doesn't matter. 
carnal, unwilling to pay the price for the rich blessings of God, Christians simply don't understand that. And yet, it's what needs to be if we're going to be blessed. Again, a thankful Christian doesn't quit because of the circumstances. 2 Timothy 1.12, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. My friend, be persuaded and embrace those promises of God and live by them. So blessed are not only those that not quit and those that do not listen to the losers, but blessed people, blessed by God people, are blessed because they're committed to Him. Committed in love, committed in faith, committed in obedience. Again, let's look at these text verses real quickly. Again, verse 32. By faith, Joseph, when he died made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. Excuse me, I'm reading the wrong one. I'm reading verse 22. Sometimes these eyes deceive you. More often lately than it used to be, okay? And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Now we can go and spend time on all of those. But just think of Gideon. God says he has too many men, 32,000 men going up against 125,000. He says, that's too many. He ends up with 300 men. That's faith. He didn't quit. Look at verse 33, where he says, stop the mouths of lions. Daniel didn't know God was going to do that, but he didn't quit being faithful. He went in that lion's den and was able to lay his head down in there. Look in the next verse, verse 34. Quench the violence of fire. There's those three Hebrew children that are cast into that uh, burning fiery furnace that's seven times hotter. That even those that threw them in, it was able to slay them. It was so hot. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in through the door of that furnace and he sees three men walking around and the fourth one likened to the Son of God. And someone has said they were walking around to stay warm. And in verse 35, he says there, women received their dead raised to life again. There was that woman and her husband who made a little room for Elisha when he would travel by that way so that he would have a little table and a lamp and, and, and a cot to sleep on. And he says, she's done so much for us and asked what they could do and pray that I'd have a child. They have a child and that child dies. But that woman goes right back to Elisha and he prays and that child is raised again from the dead. Verse 36, he says, And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourging, Jay, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. I know I've mentioned uh, Jeremiah several times, but boy, I tell you what, that was him. Publicly put in stocks, publicly uh, put in out there for display and beaten and hit. Sometimes put in a dungeon that was so deep in mire that he sunk in the mire the Bible tells us verse 37 it says they were stoned they were sawn asunder now the Bible doesn't tell us this but rabbinical writings of rabbis from 
those days throughout, there are some things we get from them. One of those things is Isaiah. The rabbi said that he was sawn asunder. You know, you read of the tortures that they did in Bible days, heads chopped off, and other things they did, the whip, whippings and all that. But to take a living man and saw him in half, that's just, how does, how does, wow. How can anybody do that? And just think of the man being sawn in half. Wow. And it was for the cause of Christ. Verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered about in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And think of David having to be in those caves hiding from Saul or John the Baptist as he went around and had honey and, and, and locusts for his food. When we go to Qumran when we're in Israel. That's one of the places that we visit, Qumran. And there's caves that are there that likely, more than likely, that John the Baptist was in them. So how does one have commitment for these things? Uh, as we see in verses 39 and 40, these all having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. It's not that we get something better than they got. It's just that they don't get it until we become part of it. It's great for us. We read verse 10 and uh, the foundations and the, the idea of holding on, persuading and embrace those promises and endured so many things. See, they, they were persuaded of the promises of God and they embraced them. Maybe they didn't fully understand a soul winner's crown, for an example, uh, Maybe a person doesn't understand what that's about, a crown of rejoicing. Maybe they don't know what a crown incorruptible is of staying holy and separated from this world and separated under God. Maybe they don't know what that is. And I, I don't know that we can really contemplate fully what that is until we get there. But I do know this, that a crown is for ruling and reigning with. That may mean that some people will be there but not really ruling and reigning. Think about it. A crown of glory for edifying the brethren. A crown of life that we have for enduring, not quitting, staying with it. The crown of righteousness for having finished the fight, fighting the good fight, completing the course, not denying the faith. Oh, my goodness, I tell you what, those are things that we should strive for in our personal life. That's what we should look towards in our personal daily life. Their faith was strong. They took God at his word, God who cannot lie. Basically, they had eternity with all the promises of God set in their heart to the point it was a commitment of their life. And they did not back off. It didn't matter how people treated them. The relationship with Christ was so good and so close that that was the fulfillment they needed to keep on, keeping on. 
They did not quit. And we see here an entire chapter in the New Testament. Many like to refer to it as the Hall of Faith. Because there were men like Isaiah and Elijah and Micaiah and David and Joseph and many others. That none of them think. What they use. Why should I keep on? Why should I go through this? They don't think that. They don't give up and quit. They keep on. They keep on keeping on. You know, there are losers. I think of Job's wife. Why don't you curse God and die? Others, they're they're the three miserable comforters of, of, of Job. With all their accusations and they had no idea. But you know what? Everything that happened to Job with the devil attacking Friends attacking, his wife attacking, he did not quit. He did not quit. When one truly loves God, he or she can obey him even to do the hard things that their flesh would not want them to do. Why? Because they trust him. And we know all things work together for good. To them who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his dear son. And all he does that for us. Yes, he did predestinate us to be conformed to that image of his son. Therefore, they obeyed him. And as a result, they are eternally blessed. This is a truth that has to become very real to you. Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, and then you can have all the thanks if you embrace and you're persuaded of this. If you're really persuaded and you embrace it, you can go on and not be a quitter. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. (laughs) We just read sawing asunder. And that will seem minute in comparison of its greatness to the greatness of the glory that's going to be revealed. What is that greatness? I have no idea. Just believe it. They believed it. And that's how they could endure. And that's how they could not quit. You can't be thankful for being eternally blessed if he's not your Lord and Savior. Now, it's good to be in God's house, but it means absolutely nothing if you don't receive him as your Lord and Savior. If there's anyone here tonight does not know that if you die tonight that heaven's your home, look, it's for by grace you are saved, not by that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus did the work. Jesus paid it all. Ours is to receive it and give our hearts and lives to Him. A thanksgiving life is choosing to receive that blessing by faith, being persuaded of these promises, embracing them, 
and then seeking the will of God for your personal life, as well as those things we already know to do, not forsaking, being thankful in all things and so forth, but witnessing and all that, but the specifics. It might be a bus ministry. It might be a, uh, a mission field. Whatever it is, because you're persuaded of the promises of God, you embrace them, and you do it with your heart, with a don't-quit attitude, quits removed from the vocabulary as you go forward for him. Oh, that's the life that is a thanks-living life, and that is a life that is blessed, eternally blessed. Thank God that we are blessed, and thank God that those blessings can grow. Thank God. Let's bow our heads, please.